HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Please take a moment to like the show on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever you get your podcasts, if you, in fact, like the show. If you don't like it, you can email me, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. I'm always looking for feedback. And you can follow me on social media at thefoodballer. Today is episode number 70 of Feast Your Ears, and the final show of this season. We'll be taking a short break for a couple of weeks. Uh, For anybody who likes to listen live, you'll have to listen to the back catalog. Uh, But we'll be back uh, with a whole new season in a couple of weeks. Today I'm really um, ecstatic to have my old friend John DeRosa here in the studio. Uh, It's been a while since we've been able to connect. John's been living in L.A. for a couple of years. He left Brooklyn for a place where it's sunny almost all the time, except this year where I understand it rained a lot this winter. (laughs) Uh, But John has had a lot of careers uh, and in some pretty fascinating things over the years. Uh, He's a guitar player, songwriter, uh, made lots of records, sung ragas and drone chanting with Lamont Young and Marion Zazila, and then became a master of cocktails. Uh, And most recently, his work here in the U.S. and also in Peru, he's been working with ancient medicines, uh, studying plants, uh, and working in shamanic studies. So thanks, John. It's really great to see you. Good to see you, man. Um, so, John, can you uh, can you give just sort of a, a brief introduction? I mean, you grew up in New Jersey, uh, came to New York City, did the New York thing for a long time. You were a musician. You were a bartender. Uh, felt the call of the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved out there. Um, so, tell me a little bit about about that journey, and then I'd love to know, you know, what took you to Peru? Sure. Um, yeah. Well, I had lived in uh, you know I grew up in New Jersey, and I I had lived in New York for. Uh, you know, most of my adult life, about 18 years. And, uh, you know, in that time there had been many, uh, many paths and, uh, uh, you know, 
I was, uh, you know, it was kind of all overlapping at the same time, really. I was, a, you know, a musician uh, basically since we'd known each other and uh, following that path. And, and I had actually, you know, worked in the music industry on the business side for a while. And when things, uh, you know, when in the in the mid to late 2000s, when, when you know, the music, music industry was going through a lot of changes, I kind of got out and ended up getting into more of the, the bar world and, and really kind of enjoyed that and had a kind of a really nice career, um, you know, managing bars here in Brooklyn. And, uh, and, but actually, you know, um, about three years ago, ago or so, um, you know, I decided that, uh, it was time to try something new and we moved to Los Angeles and, um, I kind of made the decision there. I was going to explore some things that, you know, I hadn't been able to hear. Um, I was going to, uh, you know, explore, you know, pursue more of my, you know, creative passions and kind of change my lifestyle a little bit. I don't know if it was too much of a conscious choice, but it was just something that kind of happened pretty organically once I got out there when I realized what was possible and, you know, in the ways that LA is different from New York, it, it, it allowed me to, you know, really explore things that I might not have had the chance to living here. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, this sounds, I guess, kind of shallow, but following you on social media, which is of course how we now keep track of our, our friends near and far, um, <clears throat> certainly looks like, you know, you have a lot more access to say hiking in the mountains, uh, <laughs> close to your house. So, you know, if I want to do that, it's, you know, I have to think about crossing bridges and driving and going really far away and, you know, but it seems like that was you, you had easy access to the outdoors. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's an effortless, effortless kind of access too. So, you know, it bec- for me, it, it, it had become, you know, a more natural part of my life. And, and like I said, a lot of those changes were organic and, um, you know, it was around that time. I actually all, you know, in, in terms of my work in Peru and, and, you know, that was sort of set in motion, I believe, before I even moved to Los Angeles. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, I had reconnected with an old friend of mine that I had grown up with and I hadn't spoken to in about 15 years. And, uh, you know, our first conversation, you know, what have you been up to for 15 years? And uh, he said, well, you know, I've been doing I'm a shamanic practitioner. I work in shamanic healing. And, uh, you know, I had a little bit of a background in, in all things metaphysical from a really past life, you know, when I was in high school and I used to manage, you know, a new age bookstore in my hometown. And it was really interesting, fascinating. And, you know, that's kind of what led me down to South America the first time, you know, he was organizing a trip and I went. Cool. And, uh, and so, I mean, talk a little bit about that. I think, you know, when we start to talk about, you know, I, I think there's been, there've been articles about things like ayahuasca. Um, you know, there was an article, I think it was in the New Yorker. I heard an interview with the, with the writer, you know, recounting an experience that sounded like it was just like in a yoga studio in LA where everybody took it and they're throwing up into buckets and, you know, which to me does not sound pleasant at all. Mm. Um, but you know, obviously it's not, that's not really what it's about. Yeah, um, you know, I came from a background of having very little experience with any kind of, uh, you know, mind-altering substances, um, and so it was a pretty, you know, when I first started working with plant medicines, uh, you know, it was a complete, um, 
really hard to describe experience, really pretty scary, honestly. And, and uh, uh, you know, the there is there has been a sort of a, a popularization over the past uh, couple years, several years, as more and more, you know, as more and more people um, start working with ayahuasca and different plant medicines. And so I feel really privileged that, you know, my first experiences were, you know, in Peru with legitimate facilitators, you know, doing it traditionally and really getting like the maximum amount of healing that you can possibly get from from it, which is the intent in the first place. Right. I mean, it, it sounds <clears throat> to me, you know, to make a comparison, I guess, to my own uh, younger experimentations with psychoactive substances, you know, when I did LSD as a teenager, it was like hiding in someone's barn. <laughs> we were all staying over, like dropping acid at like 11 o'clock at night and staying up all night and tripping, which was not... I mean, sure, I guess it was fun and formative and whatever, but, like, it wasn't medicinal. There was no leader. Like, it, you know, it was not that kind of an experience. Yeah, and and the more and more, you know, that I've begun working with, with, with plant medicines and I hear all kinds of these stories, which a lot of people have experienced. I mean, I would just happen to be one of them that didn't, you know, have those experiences growing up. But, you know, it's just amazing to me because I see how powerful... Um, you know, these things can be and how, you know, traumatizing they can be if they're not done in the right setting. And, you know, ayahuasca in particular is really a medicine that um, is a miracle, you know, in terms of how it can, you know, heal trauma. Um, And, you know, the issue with that is that it brings a lot of things up it brings a lot of things out and if you're not working with someone that has experience and knowledge in how to um assist in that process it can be you know dangerous and it can be really scary for someone so um the process is intense it's you know there's really no way shape or form that it would or should ever be used recreationally i can't even fathom that um so, you know, after, you know, my working with it initially, I started to see the potential and I was really kind of just enthralled by it and, and intrigued and, and I wanted to I wanted to learn more, you know, keep going. So so you <clears throat> continued to study that and then San Pedro as well, right? Yeah, so when I first was in Peru, you know, ayahuasca and San Pedro are, are two primary medicines in the Peruvian culture in, in the, you know, ayahuasca would be more in the jungle tradition and San Pedro would be more in the, um, <clears throat> the mountain tradition, the Andes, but they're, they're very different, uh, medicines that are often used in conjunction on some level, um, to facilitate the same type of healing. Can you talk a little bit about, about what they are, like what they originate as for those who may not know, um, and also a little bit about how, how they're administered and, and then how you prepare. I mean, I know that there's a, there's sort of a, a, a detoxification of the body that, that really should happen as part of the use. Is that correct? Y- yes. <clears throat> when you're getting ready to go into ceremony. Yes. <clears throat> and, and to be clear, they're, they're, 
traditionally used ceremonially. I mean, uh, us in the modern Western culture that, you know, I guess yoga class is a ceremony. And so maybe using in a yoga studio could be some kind of ceremony. But it sounds to me like it's a little bit, uh, there's a little more reverence for it uh, in its natural environment. Yeah, I mean, you know, spaces are always hard to come by. So it doesn't necessarily, you know, I wouldn't, it's not so much about the space and, sure. and, and more about how it's, you know, how it's being facilitated. Got it. But, um, yeah, ayahuasca is a medicine from the jungle that's been around for probably thousands of years. The mystery is how it was first discovered because what it is is two ingredients that are put together that, um, you know, they do have some healing potential on their own, but it's only when they're combined that they have this sort of oh. intense um, experience. Greater than the sum of its parts kind of thing. Yeah. And so it's it's an uh, it's made from ayahuasca vine, and in combined with shakruna, which is the leaf, and um, the shakruna is necessary um, for your body to actually process the ayahuasca, and um, you know it's a process that takes you know pretty much all day to make. Um, it tastes not very good. So, you know, that's the mystery is who thought of putting right. these, of, of the hundreds of thousands of plants in the Amazon. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and um, as far as San Pedro, San Pedro is a cactus, um, and it's prepared into a powder. It's dried, boiled, dried. Um, it's, again, a pretty labor-intensive process, and it's mixed with water usually, and you would, you would drink that, and... You know, it's akin in terms of the active ingredients of of uh, San Pedro would be akin to like peyote. Mm. Um, with ayahuasca, the active ingredient would be DMT. So, you know, you have two really powerful medicines from the earth. You know, um, and you know, there's some differences where you know ayahuasca is generally considered to be a feminine energy. You would drink ayahuasca in the evenings. Um, San Pedro is generally considered to be a, a masculine energy and it would be more of a solar medicine. So that would be something in the daytime. Mm -hmm. And often, you know, oftentimes there are shamanic facilitators who will work with just one or the other. And then there are some that will work with both. And maybe in the course of a week, if you're doing an intensive, you know, process, you would maybe have a San Pedro ceremony to start because it's a heart opening medicine and it gets you kind of prepared and then you may have, you know, three ayahuasca ceremonies over the course of time and then maybe finish with a San Pedro. But every facilitator is different, so that could kind of go either way. Mm. And tell me about the <clears throat> the physical preparation um, of, of the body. I mean, mm. you described to me when we were speaking before the show about it for you being fairly intense because basically you went to the jungle and couldn't really eat anything, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, there's different levels, you know, the the... the the preparation for ayahuasca is just basically called dieta, which is a pretty generic term, but it's understood to mean, you know, preparation for that. And depending on who you're working with as a facilitator, they may have different uh, standards for what dieta means. There are some things that you always will cut out for dieta, and one of those is pork, um, you know, generally red meat, fried foods, um onions and garlic, all kinds of spices, especially hot stuff. Uh, you really minimize fats and oils and, uh, 
you know, caffeine, alcohol, all of those things. And, and, and some facilitators, I would say most require, um, to eliminate salt or at least minimize it. Um, there's other dietary restrictions that maybe aren't nutritional, but that are, you know, kind of eliminating the noise in your life. So cutting down on TV, cutting down on the violent stuff, cutting down on the news, no sex for a while is one. Uh, there's a lot of preparation going into it and there's reasons for all of these things, you know, so, um, you know, some dietas are a little less intense than others. When you're doing a jungle dieta, like I was, um, you know, like you mentioned, that's kind of on the more intense scale. In that sense, I was dieting a plant. Um, a plant diet is something that shamanic uh, practitioners will do to establish relationship with a particular plant. So if you're a shaman, um, you may have a relationship with about, you know, 300 plants over the course of time. And by establishing a relationship, you're able to call on that plant to help uh, you or, or help heal others. The way you establish the relationship is you go into seclusion and you drink a concoction of that plant every day, several times a day. Um, that plant can be anything. It can be a rose bush if you'd like to diet the rose. It can be tobacco if you want to work with tobacco. It can be any plant that is considered to be a teacher plant. And as you work with this plant, you spend time with the plant. And many days in the jungle, it was spent me sitting with the plant I was dieting, which is, there was two plants. One was called Sacho, which is a wood garlic, and it was used um, traditionally for you know, hunt, hunting. You would use it for mental acuity. It's also a cleanser. And I worked with Sacho and uh, Sacha, and uh, then I worked with Chanta Caspi. Chanta is a hardwood tree that they carve, make staves out of, and it's associated in the you know, there's some, some Catholic associations because of the Spanish and it's associated oh, right. with St. Anthony. A lot of the plants have, have uh, saintly associations. Hmm. And so, you know, you establish this relationship by spending a lot of time with that plant and tuning into it. And plants don't do a lot. So, <laughs> so you're in the jungle and you're, you're, there's a lot of just being a plant. Yeah. And um, the idea is you, you, get this plant into your system and tune in. And then in the evenings, you would be drinking ayahuasca. And through the ayahuasca, the plant that you're working with will teach you, mm. teach you its songs. Um, plants don't speak English, but they speak in music. So songs come through and, um, and you, you know, hopefully if you're forming this bond with it, it's a bond that's forever. And, um, and so for the jungle dieta and things like that, it's a much more intense diet. And for me, that was eliminating all salt and even fruit, all sugars, um, among all of the other things that I had mentioned. And so when you're in the jungle and it's about 90 degrees every day and the humidity is about 90% or so every day and you don't have salt for about six weeks. Right. You know, it's uh, it's hard because you're just struggling to keep water in your body. You know, and on that level, you're uh, you're flushing the old water out of your cells, and you're replenishing it. So, on a cellular level, you're really like, you know, you're changing. So you're not, yeah, you're not just putting. This is not just a uh, 
you're not just having sort of mental experiences or healing something physical that is wrong with you, but you're really having an entire bodily experience. Yeah, and the idea is that it, it's it's all connected right. because as you heal emotionally, you know what you what we find is that um, you know emotions hide out in parts of your body, and so you can't really have one without the other. Yeah. And especially, you know, as you get, that's kind of the scary uncharted territory for deep healing work is you really, you think you kind of know what you need, or you think you kind of know what the issue is. You say, oh, it's that, I remember it's that time, you know, when my mom smacked me when I was four and I need to, and then as you get deep in there, you realize it's like things that, you know, maybe you never considered. And, um, and so it gets pretty intense, you know, it gets yeah. pretty intense. Uh, we're going to take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors here at Heritage Radio Network. And uh, when we come back, we'll uh, keep talking about shamanic studies. Hi, I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese-American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese-American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese-American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. But what better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher. Or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and today I have John DeRosa in the studio with me. And before the break, we were talking about John's experiences in Peru, uh, learning about and starting to work with plant medicines. And um, one of the things, John, that I wanted to ask you a little bit about is, you know, music seems to be the kind of connecting force in all of this. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've known each other for a long time, and, you know, a lot of that was through music. Um, you know, you've studied with... Lamont Young at the Dream House and, and drones and things like that, which are sort of mind altering in their own way in terms of the experiential, uh, both of viewing it and also of taking part in it. Um, and then you talk about how the plants in the plant medicine in the jungle have a music associated with them and that the plants communicate mm-hmm. through song. Um, can you talk a little bit about sort of that as a, as a through line in your work? And, and, you know, was that something that you knew going into it or is that something that you just kind of discovered when you started working in Peru? I didn't, I mean, I didn't realize, you know, the limitations of my, um, 
making that connection early on where like, you know, I was into artists like Steve Roach, who, you know, is an ambient artist for, you know, who's been around for decades, who has a, who's kind of has a shamanic element to his music and, you know, drumming and things. But I, it wasn't until I started to get it, you know, intimate with, uh, with my work with, with the plant medicines and, and sitting in ceremony that I realized that the, the music was not just, it was more than what it was on the surface and that music actually provides the roadmap for where ceremony takes you. Um, so as a facilitator, you know, there's obviously a lot of, uh, a lot of what someone's experience will be, will actually be the medicine itself, but it's really the facilitator who guides the experience, just like conducting an orchestra and, music is a massive part of that and that's sort of what as like a gringo gave me a little bit of access because I felt that I had certain gifts to offer on that level and it really happened at a time where I was disenchanted with the way that I had been doing music for many years I just felt like I was running into walls I didn't enjoy playing rock clubs um, I felt it was always like a really, like a struggle to, um, you know, promote records and, you know, and I was like, I, I kind of lost the love a little bit. And this was around the time that I was getting into shamanic work. And I started to see this connection where I was like, you know, by performing in ceremony and learning these plant songs and working on this level, it was like, um, I was getting everything that I ever wanted out of music without all of the things that I didn't really care for anymore. <laughs> and I was feeling this like connection again and, you know, it was inspiring. And so, um, and as you go down that path and you start list, deep listening into these songs and things, you realize it's like, you know, there's music in the plants. There's the plants love music, you know, everything's energy. I mean, all of those things that, um, that you know, probably people have experienced on certain levels through psychedelics or whatever. Yeah, sure. But you know, the music is really you know so universal, and uh, you know, working with people from all over the country and different parts of the world, you realize that music is the is the connection too. Right. Um, as a uh, as a gringo, as a as a white guy mm-hmm. um, <laughs> from New Jersey mm-hmm. who, who went to Peru, um, you know how. You know, how do you feel like you fit in with these traditional ancient medicines and and working with the native people down Mm. there? I had a lot of, uh, you know, battles of conscience sort of early on because, you know, I didn't want to feel like I was co-opting something. And, uh, you know, what I learned kind of I mean there's different perspectives but you know from what I learned and a lot of people I've spoken with is that you know the the plant medicine tradition was really on I don't want to say it was totally on the wane but it really was not an appealing uh, path for a lot of the younger indigenous peoples because it was considered to be you know outdated it was considered to be an ancient and you know and youngsters are looking to be modern and it's the same in the states and what has happened because of the interest of p- 
people coming to Peru and Brazil looking for this healing is that it's really inspired a generation there, I think, to take up take up the medicine of their grandparents sure. again. So on some level, you know, I think it's really good and it sort of helps that tradition and it helps that economy and it, you know, perpetuates it. And, you know, the issue, though, of course, is when things get popularized, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, bastardizations of it. And you have a lot of people claiming to be healers. And, you know, I mean, and, and, and not only gringos, but it happens in Peru all the time. Right. You have very gullible white people going down there and your cab driver says, oh, well, I'm a shaman. And, right. you know, okay, and, I'll get you ayahuasca. And, yeah. you know, and it's and so, you know, it goes both ways. But, you know. You know, in L.A., obviously, there are many communities and, you know, I'll just say that there's many different um, philosophies on how to conduct a ceremony. And, you know, I've been fortunate to work with people that are just amazing and experienced and, and uh, you know, so for me... Um, even though I have had that battle of conscience where I, I, I never want to be that guy who just messes around with the medicine. It's a, you know, I have a lot of respect for it. Um, you know, I decided that the best thing I can possibly do is to do my work with the highest level of integrity, following, uh, all the traditions and to do, to follow the hardest paths I can by working with the most disciplined teachers and going through, um, those painful processes on my on my own, and spending time in the jungle, and spending time in Peru, um, and taking back what I've learned, and passing it on in the best way that I know how, and also not rushing that process, just kind of um, allowing. Um, you know, one of my teachers always says, you know, if you want to be a shaman, you may want to ask yourself why, because most true healers have a lot of reluctance um, because it's such a huge responsibility yeah. and there are sacrifices that um, one has to make in their life where you no longer really can have a lot of things that you may have enjoyed before right. in terms right. of just the way your life is. Yep. So, you know, again, I think it's easy to get turned off when something becomes trendy or when, you know, you see it being misused. But I think that that's for me personally, the wrong reaction. And I've decided to say, you know, I, I believe in this. Uh, I believe that it will just continue to become legitimized. Um, I've seen great healing. And um, the best thing I can do is, is to not be too concerned with what everyone else is doing, but to focus on what I'm doing. Right. You know? Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds very similar in a way <clears throat> to the idea around you know, heritage breed food. I mean, whether that's in vegetables or in pork mm. or in, you know, in, in chickens or whatever, you know, the idea that actually to save these things, we need to consume them. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, the, the idea that we are opening up and, and it's not just happening with heritage food. It's not just happening with things like plant medicines, um, you know, from, from South America and from Peru, it, it's, it's happening with, with mushrooms, it's happening with, you know, people discovering what you can use dried mushrooms for, for making tea or using ginger or turmeric or, you know, and Ayurvedic uh, healing. I mean, all of these things, I think, are 
things that somehow humankind and different regions and different communities knew about and used in different ways. Mm -hmm. And we only now, and I think this is, you know, I think it's one of the positive things of something like the internet. We now have access to a lot of information. Of course, there's a ton of noise that you have to filter out, but there are these pieces of good information. And yeah, sure, turmeric has become this hot thing and it's showing up in all these drinks. And, you know, there are farmers who are growing it and you can't buy it from them because they're selling it all to some big company who's going to juice it. But at the same time, we are now becoming aware of what Mm. these plants and what these medicines can do for us. Yeah, it's the nature of things, you know, happened with what acai years ago. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. um, And, you know, I think I think education is like the key, you know, I mean, humans do have a I mean, even on the level with, you know, you think about all of the 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 medicines and the drugs that originally were meant to be therapeutic MDMA and LSD and you know they get hijacked by a party community or you know so again if you, you know if you have the philosophy like you know you're abandoning ship once these that happens you'll always be abandoning ship so right. I think there needs to just be that dedication and and, and like I said education's like hundred percent of it. Yep. So, yep. And I, there is an interesting through line for me as well about the sort of human condition, right? I mean, that's obviously, you know, certainly in the West, but I mean, there's a lot written about that, but the idea that people were consuming ayahuasca in the jungle a thousand years ago, before there was television, before there were cars, before there was Instagram, and that it had healing properties to those people because they were humans, mm-hmm. and that those things continue to be true, and that there are healing properties to us now mm-hmm. because we are human, whether we have all this other stuff happening or not. Yeah, I mean, if there's, you know, again, we were saying at break that, you know, we could talk about this for for so many hours yeah. and, and not even really scratch the surface, but, you know, if I could, if I could pinpoint a thing that I've gotten from working with the plant medicines, it is that, which is that, you know, seeing that connection to all humans and also our place on this earth and in this universe. And that is a timeless thing. So, um, you know, I think that has offered, you know, a lot of perspective and has changed a lot of, you know, the way I live my life. And, and, uh, and it's one of the things that I feel is very difficult to explain unless you've had that experience. You know? Right. So we've spent a lot of time talking about um, the ayahuasca in San Pedro. Um, you also work with Rape, mm-hmm. um, and you, you have a, a, a company called Hanak Pacha mm-hmm. um, where you make uh, curipes and tepis. Can, mm-hmm. you talk, can, you, can you explain what those are and what Rape is? Yeah, sure. Um, so rape, or it's sometimes pronounced hape in Portuguese, uh, is um, a another plant medicine that is uh, most of the time made with a base of mapacho tobacco. Mapacho is a jungle tobacco, and um, it's got about maybe ten to twenty times the nicotine of a of an American oh, wow. tobacco. So it's a really powerful tobacco, and mapacho is considered sort of the mother of all you know, plants, even, you know, ayahuasca and, and it's sort of the, the amplifier of intention. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, rape is, is a combination of that powdered with, um, ashes, usually from a tree called the Sunu tree. Um, it can be other different ashes as well. And then there's a variety of different rapes from the different tribe tribes that may contain different types of, um, seeds and, uh, and other plants and leaves and, and all different types of things. 
Um, there is such a thing as, you know, um, adding like something like Yopo to a rapé, which would make it a very hallucinatory experience. But most rapés are not that. And uh, rapé is administered, as a, it's a snuff that's administered through the nose. And um, you can administer it through the self, through yourself using a caripe, which is a, like a Y-shaped uh, tool. And um, there's one called a tepi, which is a longer blowpipe that is often used by like a shamanic facilitator to, to administer it on someone else. And, um, you know, rapé is a, is a, is a medicine that is, that can be used on its own. There's many tribes that use it medicinally and have for many, 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 you know, centuries. Um, and most people's introduction to rapé is that, um, in some traditions it is offered in an ayahuasca ceremony or in a San Pedro ceremony or with combo, which is a another whole type of ceremony, um, and in the context of ceremony, it can be useful when there are blockages in the body, whether they be physical or emotional, and uh, the rapé helps to break those, and that may result in in uh, in purging. There may be a purge somewhere that's stuck and that can help to release it. Uh, and so, um, you know, I began working with Rappé when I first started going to Peru. Uh, it wasn't particularly my favorite thing in the world. It's not, you know, an entirely pleasant thing at first. And um, But I started to really, you know, feel an affinity to it. I started working with it more and more and more over the years. And... I realized that you could not really get the implements very easily. Even in Peru, when I was going, I couldn't find them very easily. And I started making them, and that's when I started uh, offering them through my company, Hanak Pacha. So, um, so yeah, that's the story with Rappé. Cool. And you can find you can find those online. Um, you can follow uh, at Hanak Pacha um, on Instagram, and mm-hmm. that's spelled H-A-N-A-Q-P-A-C-H-A. Yes. Um, well, we're, we're reaching, reaching the end here. Um, but John, I wanted to ask if there's anything that you feel like you didn't have a chance to say. Um, and I also wondered if you could make some recommendations if anyone's listening to this. And, you know, like you said, we've really only been able to scratch the surface. We could probably sit here and talk for hours, um, and still only scratch the surface It's a huge subject. So are there resources that you would point people towards? I mean, the internet of course is a graph grand morass of like you know good and bad information all mixed together and if you don't know what you're looking at it's hard to parse that yeah it's really tricky in the states because you know there are legality issues and it's it's not easy to find um i don't recommend going out and finding some facilitator and starting work with this you know i i do recommend going to peru um you know, there are various retreats that, you know, are out there that I could recommend. I mean, feel free to reach out to me if you, you know, um, there's a really great book, um, in a sea of books that aren't great, um, that I recommend and it's called, uh, Ayahuasca Soul Medicine of the Amazon Jungle. And it was written by one of my teachers. His name is Javier Ruggiero. And that's really the, one of the primary books that I recommend because I just think it's, a really well uh it's a well-spoken well-written uh volume that is great for people who may have some experience or may have zero experience so that's a great book i know that that's available on amazon and things like that so 
Cool. Um, well, you can find out more about John. We didn't really talk too much about music, but John uh, had a band called Arctica um, that put out a couple of albums. He's also done. You can look him up on Spotify. You can find his, his current uh, music. You can find his music website at johnderosa.com, and you can find more about the caripes and tepes that he makes at hanakpachala.com. Um, and if you want to follow John on Instagram, uh, if you want pictures of his personal life, uh, he was just in uh, Manasquan, New Jersey at the beach. <laughs> uh, that's There is a River on uh, Instagram. And for the business, uh, that's Hanak Pacha um, on Instagram. And, uh, yeah, I uh, thanks a lot, John, for, for coming on today. It's a fascinating subject, and uh, I hope to learn more about it. Maybe uh, maybe we'll make time in a, in a future season next time you're in New York and we can sort of follow up. You said that you are, you're facilitating your first... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm apprenticing, so we'll just, yeah. We'll, cool. Yeah. Great. Uh, thanks everybody for listening to feast your ears today. A uh, big thank you to Vitor Hirsch for engineering today. You can find feast your ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritage radio network.org on iTunes and Stitcher. You can follow me on Instagram at the Foodballer, and I'll be back in a couple of weeks after we take a short break here for the season. Thanks everybody. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.